Sidewalk Audio and PatioBooks.com presents The Prince of Hazel and Oak A podcast novel by John Lenahan Book 2 of the Shadow Magic series Read by the author Chapter 34 The Mertain King It took a half an hour before the school came to escort me to the king. I tried to rest, but every time I put my head down, I saw an image of my friends with wide, terrified eyes as flames rose around them. I just didn't have the strength to think about it. I tried using a feely mind mantra. But eventually, I just had to get up. I spent most of the time before the guards came, peeping into all the nooks and crannies, searching for my clothes. I didn't find them, so I guess I was doomed to go to school in my nightgown, which I suppose was better than my recurring nightmare of going naked. Matron and Gracie walked me to a larger cave containing a beach and an underground lake. Waiting for me were six humorless macho thugs, the school. A couple of days previous, I would have cracked a few jokes about them being a bit old for school, but it seems that Moran killed my sense of humor along with my friends. In the center of the lake was the top of a car-sized submerged brass dome. Get in, the senior guard said. How do I get in there? You swim, fairy, matron said. Follow Gracie. She will show you the way. Aren't you coming with us? It is very close quarters in the pressure chamber, and I'm certain that you would rather have Gracie scrunching in with you than me. I don't know. After the initial shock, you're not so bad. She scowled at me, but it had a smile in it. Good luck, fairy. Gracie took my arm and walked into the water. I stuck one toe in it and popped it right back out again. It's freezing! Gracie giggled, grabbed me by the wrist, and said, Come on! That girl is stronger than she looks. I hit the water, and my body exploded with the cold. I screamed so loud I was sure that the walls of the cave above the water must have collapsed and crashed down on Matron, like a bad guy's lair in a British super spy movie. Swimming was out of the question. I struggled to get back to the surface, but then Gracie, equipped with her flipper bottom half, zoomed me through the water to the underside of the pressure dome. She placed my shivering hands on the railings before she was finally forced to push me up the stairs with her shoulder. I was beyond cold and just shy of being cryogenically preserved. I flopped down on the metal deck, dripping wet and rattling my teeth so hard I was sure I was going to crack a molar. Gracie knelt next to me, looking like she had just stepped out of a garden on a summer's day. Dry off, she said. I can't move. She placed her hand on my robe, but it instantly dried itself and me. Then it lengthened and heated up. She tucked the material around my feet, and I slowly started to thaw out. How did you do that? You can do it, too. Your robe is made of kelp. If you're nice to it, it will do what you ask. 
Just as my core temperature was reaching the point where I could talk without sounding like I was riding over cobblestones on a bicycle, the chamber began to move. I looked over the side of the metal platform we were lying on and saw the ocean floor moving horizontally. Periodically, a mermaid would zoom past the hole in the floor. Aren't they going to close a hatch or something? Why? Gracie said as we lurched upward. I looked over the railing and saw the ocean floor disappear at an alarming rate. Because I really don't want to... Ah! I didn't get to finish that quip because that's when the first pressure change hit me. Pain exploded in my ears and Gracie, looking uncomfortably worried, told me to swallow to equalize the pressure. I wanted to tell her that I wasn't an idiot and I'd been doing that, but the pain was too intense to allow me to speak. Gracie cuddled up beside me as a spark of pain hit me in the ears that was so bad I thought I was going to pass out. When I pulled my hand from my head, it was covered with blood. Gracie placed her hands on both sides of my head and I felt her flipper flap against my leg. The pain subsided and when I turned to look, she was changing back from a fish already. We didn't have much time to talk. The ascent must have happened at a phenomenal speed. In the process, I punctured both eardrums, my right one twice. Closer to the surface, I started to get pains like I'd never experienced before. Tiny, strange twinges in my joints grew to the point where I would pray that I would soon die. What is happening? I'm stopping your blood from boiling. Shush, she said as she hugged me from behind. Her legs changed from fish to feet with increasing speed. Each change brought a blessed relief. By the time we felt the chamber bob to the surface, the two of us were physically spent. Gracie was crying, and I held her. Are you all right? Sobbing, she didn't say anything, but nodded her head yes. Thank you, I said, holding her until her crying turned to sniffles. I wiped the tears from her eyes. She was remarkably beautiful, my giggling angel, and it pained me to see her cry. When she finally had the strength to return my smile, I couldn't resist it. I kissed her. That, of course, is the position the captain of the king's school found us in. Gracie got up so fast she banged her head and it rang in the chamber like a bell. My body felt like I'd been tripped at the opening gun of a marathon and then been trampled by the subsequent 500 runners. Gracie didn't look like she was moving all that well either until she hit the water and then she... She flew. I doggy paddled underwater until I broke the surface and then saw that we were like a mile from the island. I wasn't sure I was going to make it, but my choice was either swimming or drowning, so I started kicking. Gracie saw me struggling and swam up under me. She turned her back and gestured for me to place my hands on her shoulders. I did, and she reached up, grabbed both my wrists, and dove straight down underwater. We went so fast the water scrunched my face like an astronaut during a rocket launch. After traveling to what felt like 40,000 leagues under the sea, she turned and we broke the surface, clearing the water by at least 10 feet. If Gracie was giggling, I couldn't hear it over my screaming. We were on the beach in no time. As I crawled ashore, I said, Warn me next time you do that. She tilted her head. Do what? Standing shivering on solid ground, I willed my robe to dry. It did, but it also shrunk to the size of a halter top. 
Gracie quickly ran over and made it become a full-sized, dry, warm robe again. You shouldn't do that here, she said with a disapproving look. Thanks, I said. I'll remember that. The walk to the royal residence was a quick march along the sand. Not that I could feel the sand. My feet were like blocks of ice. None of the Mertain I noticed wore shoes. I found out later, if their feet were cold or sore, all they had to do was a quick change and everything was back to warm baby softness again. It was a trick the pukas of the Pinelands hadn't learned. When their animal selves are injured, they carry their injuries through the change. The king had a cool beach house that had a wide porch-like jetty that stuck out over the water. Gracie told me that the king was old. When I asked her how old, she said, old, old. Me and my frozen feet were escorted to the royal porch where I stood and waited for about a quarter of an hour. Finally, I sat on the deck and tried to instruct my robe to cover my feet, but I only succeeded to make it turn pale blue, the same color as my toes. Talking to this robe was like trying to communicate with a blind Chinese guy. I decided to give up because I didn't want to be left with a miniskirt when the king arrived. A huge whoosh startled me to my feet as the king vaulted out of the water and landed, dry as a bone, on his feet, on his porch. It was a very ostentatious entrance, but I must admit, impressive. I'm sure if I could do it, I would do it all the time, too. I shouldn't have worried about showing off my legs, because this guy's kelp robe looked like a very short Roman toga. He seemed youngish, late 20s or early 30s, but the weird thing about him was he had absolutely no hair. Not on his head, not on his legs, and disconcertingly, no eyebrows. He paced back and forth, never once actually looking at me. Why were you dropped by Tautine? he asked the sea. Your Highness, that's a long story that I'm happy to tell you, but right now I think I'm either going to faint or go into hyperthermic shock. Can we have this chat inside over a cup of tea? He finally looked me straight in the eyes. He was as humorless as his bodyguards. I tried desperately not to stare at the space where his eyebrows should have been. Tell me, what are your dealings with the dragon? As he spoke, my teeth started chattering again. My cold brain started to slip into that state where I just didn't care what happened anymore. I got lippy. Do you know who I am? In response, the king snarled. I was beyond caring. I'm the friggin' Prince Adore, and I deserve better than this. Now, I'm happy to answer any of your questions, but only over a cup of tea and with a blanket on my feet. The only good thing about the Mertain dungeon was that it was warm. I got a cup of water and a leathery piece of dried fish. The fish smelled like sulfur, but then so did the rest of the place. I'm sure that if I lived in that cell on a diet of baked beans, no one would notice. At that moment in my life, a dungeon was not a good place for me to be. It wasn't just that it was damp and dark and dingy. The main problem was that there was nothing for me to do, so I was forced to live with my thoughts. And they were far from comforting. War was coming to the Hazelands. I needed to get off this rock and warn somebody, everybody. 
if I could even get out of this cell, I had no idea how to get back to the Tirnanog mainland. And I had no idea how Dad was. The last thing I heard was that he was getting slowly worse. Was that still the case, or was his condition rapidly worsening? Or was he dead? I didn't have to wonder if my traveling companions were dead. I hoped that somehow their end was swift, but in my heart I knew it wasn't. I knew I should have insisted that Brendan stay in door, and I should have listened to him when he told me not to trust Turlow. If I ever got out of here, I knew I would have to go back to the real world and try to explain to his mother and daughter about how he died trying to help me. I dreaded that moment almost as much as having to have to tell Queen Rhiannon what had happened to her taunt. The last thing she'd said to me was, look after my son. There was one thing I didn't do on this trip was look after anybody. And I had lost a raff. First Fergal and now a raff. There's just so much a heart can take. Not hearing a raff, not speaking, was deafening in its silence. I tried not to think about how they died. I tried to push it out of my mind, but with nothing else to distract me in this prison gloom, the imagined images of their agonizing deaths overwhelmed me until I was curled up in a fetal ball openly weeping on the dungeon floor. That was the position that the king of the Mertain found me in. I heard the sound of his throat clearing and looked up to see his face in the barred window of the door. So this is how a prince of oak acts. I didn't stand, but I did sit up. I wiped my cheeks with my knees. You... You don't know what I've lost. No loss would make me act like that. No, I said, looking fully at him for the first time. No, this would never happen to you, because you've lost it all anyway. You may have followed Moran out of the Pinelands and escaped the dependency of Hazel, but you've lost what it means to be human. No, you've lost what it means to be Puka. The king's eyes grew wide in surprise. How do you know of Moran and Hazel? I stood, reached into my collar, and pulled out my Athru medallion. I know these things because I am Barouche. Well, what a difference one little word in a necklace can make. The guards were called, and I was taken to a royal guest suite where I was fed and bathed. I even had my back scrubbed and my face shaved by mermaids. It's not often you can say that, and yes, it's as nice as it sounds. After a short nap, I was escorted inside the king's abode, and sure enough, there was a blanket and a cup of tea waiting. My apologies, Prince Connor, for my previous abrupt manner. I am unaccustomed to visitors, and your arrival, it must be said, was troubling. I came real close to saying, just don't do it again, but instead, I apologize for my own behavior. So, son of Dor, you have your cup of tea and a blanket. Will you now tell me what your relationship with my brother is? 
Your brother? Yes, Moran is my brother. I squinted my eyes and tilted my head a bit, then in my mind's eyes I used an orange crayon to draw hair and eyebrows on the king. Sure enough, he was Red's hairless twin. I see it now, I said. Has your brother always been that strange? I believe I have waited long enough for my answers, he said, but then a tiny smile crossed his lips. But I shall answer one last question of yours. Yes. So I spewed out the whole tale again. It seemed that on this trip to the land, I was doomed to constantly meet people and tell them my entire life story. I was getting pretty good at it. The last bit was hard to tell, but I got through it without choking up. Just. I finished by saying, So as you can see, I must get back to the mainland as soon as possible. Can you help me? The king sat and stared for a while. I took that as a testament to my superior storytelling ability. He was stunned into silence. Finally, he said, I can, and I will. For the first time in a long while, my spirits rose a bit, only to have them dashed by his next sentence. As soon as Moran arrives to verify your story. When is Moran due? My brother comes and goes as he pleases, but he will definitely be here for the blood fate. And when is that? In three years, he said. You have been listening to The Prince of Hazel and Oak, a podcast novel by John Lenahan. Music gratefully provided by Lunasa. You can hear more of their fabulous music at www.lunasa.ie. That's L-U-N-A-S-A dot I-E. You can learn more about Shadow Magic and its author on www.shadowmagic.co.uk. Thank you so much for listening. Shadow Magic, book one of the series, is available from HarperCollins in paperback, EPUB, and Kindle formats.